it's a pleasure of mine to introduce uh, Jill Enns, is our pastor of Children and Family Ministries here, and um, she often uh, preaches when we've got our kids kind of involved in the mix, but I really wanted to involve all of our staff in the writing of our gift book and and in the preaching of these messages too, and um, if you don't know, Jill has a background in biblical studies. Her undergrad is in biblical studies and a, a master of arts in, in Bible and theology, and now she's working on her doctorate in preparation to help equip parents to uh, help their kids answer the biggest questions. So she's doing apologetics at Biola University, and uh, just a great privilege to have you share from God's Word with us this morning, Jill. So opening your Bibles, if you will, to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. That's where we're looking at this morning. All right. Thanks, Dave. It is a real joy and a privilege to be here this morning, and I have just been so encouraged through um, the music and through Dan's message that he shared with us this morning. So last week, Dave began our gift book series by talking about purpose. He began by explaining that we live in a secular age. A secular age is a world without God as its foundation. J.P. Moreland calls this a thin world. A thin world, one without God, is a world without purpose, without meaning, without human value and dignity, and without any basis for morality, knowing right from wrong. As Dave said last week, it is a world without a grand story. It is an empty world, a thin world. We live in a world that lacks purpose. As a result of this secular age that we are living in, many people in our culture today no longer believe that there is any ultimate purpose or meaning to life. Or in other words, they deny that there is a grand story. What do we do when there is no grand story or purpose to life? We create our own meaning. What happens when we try to create our own meaning, our own grand story? We end up living for ourselves. We put ourselves at the center, and instead of living for some purpose or goal outside of ourselves... Our own personal happiness or contentment ends up becoming the goal of life. One of the problems with making happiness our goal in life is that happiness is a feeling that is dependent on our circumstances. What happens when our circumstances change? When you wake up next to the person you married and realize you are no longer feeling the same love or an affection that you did when you first married that person. Or what happens when you finally get the job that you've been working towards, only to realize it comes with a boss or an employee that is a real pain to work with. Or you finally upgrade to the latest iPhone, only to realize that, guess what, a newer model is now available. Yes, happiness is fleeting. This is exactly what Solomon points out in the book of Ecclesiastes. He says, I have seen all the things that are done under the sun. All of them are meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Without God, everything we do is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. We will always be looking for something new, that next experience or that new relationship that will bring us the happiness that we seek. When happiness is the goal of life, we end up living for ourselves alone, pursuing fleeting pleasures that can never fully satisfy. This leaves people feeling empty and discontent with their lives. 
We live in a world that lacks purpose. However, the hunger to be part of something bigger, some larger purpose, does not go away. The opposite of a thin world is a thick world. A thick world is one with God at the center. God is the one who gives us meaning, purpose, and joy in life. We were made for God. We were made to live for him and his kingdom purposes. And that gives us purpose, meaning, dignity, and worth. This is what Dave talked about last week when he talked about living a life on purpose. He looked at Ephesians 2, 1 to 10, which ends by saying, For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. This is a thick world, a world full of meaning, purpose, and joy. What does it look like to live a life of purpose in a thick world? It means serving God and serving others with your whole being. We are going to talk about what this looks like during the rest of our time this morning. Last week, Dave pointed out that in Ephesians 2.10, it says that we are God's handiwork. Not you, not me, but we are God's handiwork. It is all of us together that make up the body of Christ. It is all of us together that Paul is referring to in Ephesians as God's handiwork. This morning, we're going to focus on how each one of us, has, as an individual, has been uniquely shaped by God for his purposes. But as we do this, it is also important to keep in mind that although God has gifted you as an individual to serve him, it is within the context of Christian community, and it is in using your gifts alongside other Christ followers that we become God's handiwork reflecting Christ to the world. God has made each one of us unique. David says in Psalm 139, verse 13, For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Rick Warren, in his book, The Purpose Driven Life, has developed an acronym called SHAPE, which emphasizes the way each of us has been uniquely shaped by God for his purposes. You were created by God to serve him. When we use our unique shape to serve God, we find purpose and joy. You have been uniquely shaped by God to live a life of purpose for him. These are the letters of the SHAPE acronym. We are going to look at each one briefly this morning and you will study them some more in your small groups this week. This morning we will focus a good part of our time on the first letter, and then we'll move through the rest a little more quickly. So the first letter is S, which stands for spiritual gifts. In the Bible, lists of spiritual gifts are given on three separate occasions. The longest list is given in 1 Corinthians 12, which we will look at this morning. But shorter lists can also be found in Romans 12, 3 to 8, and Ephesians 4, verse 1. So let's read right now 1 Corinthians chapter 12. So we're going to start at verse 7. Now to each one the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom. To another a message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. 
to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by that one Spirit, to another miraculous powers, to another prophecy, to another distinguishing between spirits, to another speaking in different kinds of tongues, and to still another the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of one and the same Spirit, and he distributes them to each one just as he determines. Now we're going to move to verse 27. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. And God has placed in the church, first of all, apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, of helping, of guidance, and of different kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all have gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? Now eagerly desire the greater gifts. The Greek word for spiritual gifts is charisma. In it, this word simply means grace gifts. Spiritual gifts are gifts of grace that are given to us by God for the benefit of others. They are translated as spiritual gifts in English because they are gifts that are given to us by the Holy Spirit. But a more accurate translation of the Greek would be grace gifts. The word charisma emphasizes the source of these gifts. They are undeserved, free gifts of grace. Last week, Dave talked about how we are saved by grace. It is by God's, it is God's grace that saves us, not anything that we have done. Well, these gifts are also given to us by God's grace. We have done nothing to earn or deserve these gifts, but they are given to us to serve others as part of the body of Christ. You have been uniquely shaped by God to live a life of purpose for him. 1 Corinthians 12, verses 12 to 26, which is the part of that passage that we skipped, talks about how the body of Christ functions and how important each different part in the body of Christ is. It compares spiritual gifts to body parts and says that just as an eye or a hand or a foot is an important part of the body, so are each of the spiritual gifts important to the body of Christ. I just mentioned that we are God's handiwork. Well, we are also the body of Christ. It is all of us using our gifts together that make up Christ's body. 1 Corinthians 12.7 says, To each one the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. We were not made to live for ourselves. We were made for God. And the gifts that he gives us are for the common good. This is what it means to live in a thick world, a world with meaning and purpose outside of ourselves. You have been uniquely shaped by God to live a life of purpose for him. If we are truly using our gifts to serve God and others, then there is no room for either of the two problems that we sometimes encounter in relation to spiritual gifts. These are gift envy and gift projection. Gift envy is when we become jealous of the gifts that others have, wishing that we had their gifts. I'm sure that all of us have experienced this at times. Maybe some of you have observed someone who has the gift of being able to inspire and encourage others with their words, 
and you feel like, well, that's just not my thing. I can serve others, and I love to work with my hands, but words, that's not really where I'm gifted. Or maybe you see others who have incredible administration gifts or teaching gifts, and you think, wow, that person is really good at that, but that's really not my thing. For me, probably one of my greatest struggles with gift envy is when I watch others serving and hosting groups of people. Some, something that you might not know about me, if you see me in passing on Sunday morning, is that I am really not a very good cook. I've learned a thing or two over the years, and uh, my husband Tyler and I, somehow, usually we manage to put something edible on our table each evening. But I really do not enjoy cooking, and I am really not very good at it. There are times when I have struggled with this fact that I'm not a very good cook. Sometimes I even feel bad when another baby is born in the church and I don't sign up to bring a meal. But I know that when I have this kind of attitude, when I feel bad that I'm not a better cook, which I tend to associate with gifts like hospitality and serving, then I am suffering from gift envy. And when I do this, I am really living for myself and living in a thin world. Serving in the body of Christ is not about me. It's about God. And instead of wishing for gifts that I do not have, I need to focus on using the gifts that I do have. When I don't use my gifts, the body of Christ suffers. The same is true for you. When you don't use your gifts, the body of Christ suffers. It is like a body trying to function that is missing an eye or a hand or a foot. You have been uniquely shaped by God to live a life of purpose for him, and you are an important member of the body of Christ. The second problem that we sometimes encounter in relation to spiritual gifts is called gift projection. This happens when we expect everyone else to have the same spiritual gifts that we do and to be just as passionate about them as we are. This is kind of the opposite of gift envy, where instead of wishing we had the gifts that someone else has, we instead expect everyone else to have the same gifts and passions as us. It's not a big secret around here that I'm pretty passionate about children's ministry. So gift projection would be if I expect everyone else sitting here to be just as passionate about it as I am. And for some of you, for whom that is not your gift, that is a scary thought. And that's okay. (laughs) The body of Christ simply doesn't function that way. It doesn't work if everyone is an eye. It doesn't work if everyone is a foot. Each of us has been uniquely created by God, and we need to value and appreciate our differences. We need to recognize our spiritual gifts for what they are. They are grace gifts given to us by the Spirit for the common good. When we use our gifts to serve God as those who are living in a thick world, our lives become rich with meaning, purpose, and joy. You have been uniquely shaped by God to live a life of purpose for him. The second letter in our SHAPE acronym is HEART, but I'm actually going to skip it for now. We're going to look at the next four letters, and then I'm going to come back to it at the end. So we're going to move on to A, which is for abilities. Your abilities are simply the natural 
God-given talents that you were born with. Some of us are just naturally better at certain things than others. We can observe this in people from a very young age. Some children will really excel at different things like math or reading or writing or sports or music. If you are good at math and working with numbers when you are five, then you're likely going to be good at math and working with numbers when you're 20. Math is an example of an ability. We all have natural, God-given abilities that are part of who God created us to be. Part of serving God means using our abilities for his glory. 1 Corinthians 10.31 says, So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. You have been uniquely shaped by God to live a life of purpose for him. The next letter is P for personality. God has also created each one of us with a unique personality. I am sure many of you have taken a personality test at some point in your life. I know I have taken several, and for the most part, I have appreciated them and found them helpful. They can be useful tools to help you understand yourself and to understand other people better. But personality tests do have their limits. Personality tests are designed to look for similarities and then group people who have similar personalities. The problem is that although there are similarities among us, we also each have our own unique personality. There has never been and never will be again anyone quite like you. You are unique and have your own unique personality. In your study guides this week, I encourage you to spend some time reflecting on Psalm 139 and on the way in which God has made you. You have been uniquely shaped by God to live a life of purpose for him. The final letter in our acronym is E for experiences. Each of us also has our own experiences, good and bad, which have shaped us and made us the people that we are today. While bad experiences are never pleasant to go through, it is often those negative experiences that have shaped us the most and that have prepared us the most for serving God and serving others. Paul says in Romans 5, 3-4, that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. This does not mean that God causes suffering or enjoys seeing us suffer, not at all. But sometimes God allows us to experience hard things and even uses those experiences to develop, to develop character and perseverance in us. Paul also points specifically to the compassion and the comfort we receive from God in our distress in order to shape us to be people of compassion and comfort to others. 2 Corinthians 1, 3-4 says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion, and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles, so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. You have been uniquely shaped by God to live a life of purpose for him. Now we're going to return to the second letter, to heart. I didn't save it to the end because I didn't think it was important. I saved it to the end because I think that um, 
this is what really undergirds all the rest of the, the letters in this acronym. In addition to your spiritual gifts, abilities, personality, and experiences, you also have God-given desires and passions that come from the heart. The heart is a bodily organ that is often used in the Bible to represent our mind, our will, and our emotions. The heart is the source of all your motivations, your passions and desires, your hopes, your dreams, and your affections. In other words, what you love. This is the way the word heart is being used in this acronym. Jonathan Edwards, who was a pastor and key figure in the 18th century Great Awakening, said that the nature of human beings is to be inactive unless influenced by some affection, love or hatred, desire, hope, fear, etc. These affections are the spring of action, the things that set us moving in our lives, that move us to engage in activities. In other words, he's saying that it is what is in your heart, the things that we love, our desires and passions that motivate us to act. Let me give you an example. This winter, I decided that I was going to go downhill skiing for the first time in over 20 years. It might sound a little crazy. I had learned how to downhill ski as a kid, but when I was 14, I decided that I was going to try snowboarding, and I never looked back. This winter, though, I bought a cheap pair of skis. I went up to Sun Peaks, I put my skis on, and I went down the hill. Now, what on earth would motivate me to go skiing after a 20-year break? Well, it was the love that I have for my son and my desire to help him. You see, my son had tried snowboarding. I, I had tried to convince both my children that they should love snowboarding. But it wasn't going well, and he really didn't enjoy it. And this year, he decided he wanted to try downhill skiing. So out of love for my son, I bought a pair of skis, I put them on, and I taught him how to ski. And thankfully, I hadn't forgotten myself. It was my affections, as Jonathan Edwards calls it, that motivated, that motivated me to ski. Edwards says that we have these kinds of affections behind every activity that we choose to engage in. Psalm 37.4 says, Take delight in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. As we delight in God and spend time with him, as we take joy in being in his presence, something happens to our affections. Our affections begin to align with God's affections. We begin to desire the things that God desires. And as we do this, we begin to act and to serve in ways that are pleasing to God. Our affections motivate us to act. I have been challenged recently by a couple of books that I have been reading to really try to live every moment of my day in God's presence by constantly refocusing my thoughts on him. I know that might sound a little bit crazy. I can't really live every moment of my day with my thoughts focused on God, right? Well, maybe it is a bit of a lofty goal, but don't you think it's worth trying? Just this week, I was reading from the book Devotional Classics, where a man named Frank Labock, who was a missionary to the Philippine Islands, had tried to do this. 
In talking about the year ahead, he says in his journal from the year 1930, Two years ago, a profound dissatisfaction led me to begin trying to line up my actions with the will of God about every 15 minutes or every half hour. Other people to whom I confessed this attention, intention said it was impossible. So he was just started out just trying to do it every 15 to 30 minutes, and people told him it was impossible. He said, I judge from what I have said that few people are even trying that. And then he says, but this year, I have started out trying to live all my waking moments in conscious listening to the inner voice, asking without ceasing, Father, what do you desire said? What, Father, do you desire done this minute? This is how you begin to live a life of purpose. You begin by trying to live all your waking moments in conscious listening to the inner voice. You delight yourself in the Lord. As we delight in him, he gives us the desires of our heart because our desires begin to line up with his desires for us. Now, this does not mean that I stop being me. I am a unique person created by God with desires and passions that are unique to me and my personality. But as I delight in the Lord and spend time with him, my desires begin to line up with his desires for me because he knows me even better than I know myself. I begin to understand how I can use the grace gifts that God has given me, as well as my unique personality, abilities, and experiences to serve him. You have been uniquely shaped by God to live a life of purpose for him. Maybe some of you sitting here feel like you already have a pretty good idea of what your unique shape is and how you can use it to serve God but maybe some of you are a little uncertain. Well, figuring out your unique shape is something that you are going to work through a little more in your study guides this week. And if you haven't got one yet, there are still more available. You can pick one up. But I'm going to just mention a few things this morning that can help you find your unique shape. So first, as I've already mentioned, you need to delight yourself in the Lord and ask him to help you discover your unique shape. This is always going to be the first step. And then you need to study the scriptures. You can study the passages that talk about the spiritual gifts. Again, those are listed in your study guide. It is important to remember, though, that these lists are not a comprehensive list of all the possible spiritual gifts. They just give examples of the kind of grace gifts that the Spirit gives to us. You could also ask the members of your small group or others who are close to you, what gifts and abilities and personality traits they see in you. Often others will see things in us that we don't see in ourselves. And if you aren't already, you can get involved in serving your church or your community in some way. There are lots of one-time events that you can get involved in if you just kind of want to put some feelers out <laughs> and figure out if something is a good fit for you. Some examples from in our church include volunteering to help with the kids at a parent night out helping to make a meal for um, the young adults that meet here on Mondays, leading your small group when your leader is away one week, or coming to a prayer meeting before the 9 a.m. service on Sunday morning. These are just a few examples, but helping out at an event like this is a great way to try something new and see if it fits with your unique shape. And then finally, you need to make serving God a priority. Jonathan Edwards says, 
When we look at the world, we see that people are exceedingly busy. It is their affections that keep them busy. If we were to take away their affections, the world would be motionless and dead. There would be no such thing as activity. It is the affection we call covetousness that moves a person to seek worldly profits. It is the affection we call ambition that moves a person to pursue sensual delights. Just as worldly affections are the spring of worldly actions, so the religious affections are the spring of religious actions. Busyness is part of living in a thin world, a world that says, I have to create my own meaning by accumulating things that will make me happy, or by accomplishing things that will give me a sense of meaning and purpose. If we have our hearts set on worldly affections, we will fill our lives with worldly actions. Living a life of purpose for God frees us from the busyness that comes with pursuing worldly affections, with pursuing my own happiness and contentment. When we stop pursuing happiness and pursue God instead, we end up living our lives that are filled with purpose and joy. To figure out what your unique shape is, you need to delight in the Lord and then make serving him a priority. Sometimes this means making hard decisions and saying no to certain things so that you can use your unique shape and pursue the things that you believe God is calling you to do. At the beginning of my sermon this morning, I mentioned Ephesians 2.10, which is part of the passage that Dave looked at last week. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus, to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. David pointed out that it says we are God's handiwork, not I or you, but we. Together we are God's body, his handiwork. Imagine what it would look like if every single person in our church was completely committed to using their own unique shape to serve God. And as Paul says in Ephesians 4.16, to building up the community of faith in love as each part does its work. There's a familiar saying about the church that says that 20% of the people do 80% of the work. Now, I don't think that statistic is true for Summit. I think we have much more than 20% of our people serving in some way. But imagine what we could do as a church, as the body of Christ, if we had 100% of the people doing 100% of the work. How would our church thrive? What new ministries would we be able to start? Now imagine if we were all also 100% committed to using our unique shape, to using our gifts, abilities, personality, experiences, and passions to serve God in and through our work and serving in the community. Perhaps this would mean volunteering with the Pregnancy Care Center or the New Life Community Center or going on a missions trip, volunteering with the Salvation Army or with Young Life or with camp ministries or with prison ministries. Or maybe as Dan challenged us this morning, for some of you it might even mean moving outside of our city. Maybe God is calling you to another part of the world somewhere. What kind of an impact could we have on our city and in the world? If you are a Christian, a follower of Christ, then you are an important part of his body. I can't make up the body of Christ on my own. I am not God's handiwork on my own. You are not God's handiwork on your own. 
It is together that we reflect Christ to the world. It is together that we paint a beautiful picture of what it looks like to live in God's community. Every member of the body is important. So find out what your unique shape is. Find ways to start serving in the church and in your community. And live a life filled with purpose as part of God's handiwork.